Welcome to the Trails Around the World podcast. Each episode inspires you with a new idea for a long-distance trail or an adventure, someplace interesting in the world that you can discover. We tell you why you want to go and tell you how to make the dream a reality. Hello, Rocks. Welcome to the Trails Around the World podcast. Thank you for joining us. Could you tell us your name? Give us a little idea of your background and your uh, your adventure resume. Sure. Hi, my name is uh, Levi Rocks Mason. Been through hiking since I was about 19. Uh, I've done uh, the Appalachian Trail, Pacific Crest Trail, the Arizona Trail, the Long Trail. The there's several others. <laughs> And, you know, this is sort of uh, the passion of my life. It's made having a normal life relatively difficult because, frankly, all I want to do is hike. Yeah. So I have a, a diverse hiking background and, you know, it's, it's what I love to do. It's, it's challenging to not hike uh, when engaged in the rest of my life. Yeah. From what I understand, you've got other stuff happening in your life now. So uh, it'll be interesting <laughs> for you to see how things evolve going forward, I'm sure. Yeah. Well, tell me just what about hiking and backpacking makes you love it, makes you want to do it so much. I, uh, I'm i not a social hiker, uh, exactly, although the community is incredible and, and absolutely part of a draw. I do really enjoy my solitude, and that's what made the Pacific Northwest Trail, trail so great. Very quiet trail. Uh, very few people hike it. So it's the, the solitude the challenge of uh, ascending and descending. I really enjoy the feeling of getting into shape and, you know, becoming a hiking machine. I really enjoy pushing my body. But above all else, it's, it's seeing these wild places. It's seeing these incredible trees, particularly on the West Coast. It's seeing these incredible sunsets and these beautiful waters and, and the animals and just the environment. And whether it's the environment that exists in a natural state and has existed always in that state, or whether it's seeing the transformation of the forests as they're impacted by humans and, and other forces, it's, it's just fascinating. It's absolutely fascinating, and I enjoy the geology. It's just incredible. And the gift of being able to experience these things over uh, hundreds of miles and witnessing the changes Pacific Northwest Trail gave me some incredible experiences that I, I didn't even know. I didn't even know these relationships were so intimate. And, and specifically what I'm thinking of right now, I just to take a deep dive into it. You know, we all intellectually know that the moon pulls the tides. We, we know this. But to experience the actual water racing after the full moon on the coast of the Pacific Northwest Trail. I mean, it's just so powerful. And I did not realize the power of that relationship because you can actually feel it on the, on the Pacific Northwest Trail. And it was really something to behold. And those experiences drive my passion for, for the thru-hike. So just, it's just incredible. We're so lucky to be able to engage in these activities. How did you start hiking? <laughs> it's a funny story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> Just a bit. Yeah, so uh, my, my 19th year on the planet was not a good one, uh, although it turned out pretty great. I had a girlfriend, and we were um, preparing to run off to California together. 
just graduated from high school, I was working in an auto body shop. I was a, a pretty dumb kid. And, you know, we had these great plans and I was so excited. And then she broke up with me. And then about a day later, I got fired from my auto body job. And uh, it was uh, just pretty, you know, heartbroken and, and listless. And uh, my my parents lived near Bears Den Youth Hostel on uh, 601 in, in Virginia. And so I, I came out for a visit because I didn't didn't have anything else to do. So I was, you know, moping around and I, I did have some money saved, a modest amount. And I never really thought of actually, I'm not even sure I'd ever even heard of the Appalachian Trail before. But my mom suggested that I go out and hike uh, for a week or two. And uh, I thought, you know, what the heck? So I, you know, bought some cheap uh, Eastern Mountain Sports equipment. And uh, I had, of course, no idea what I was doing. I had a giant pair of boots and knee-high gaiters and a, you know, 60-pound pack. But I went out and within a, uh, probably within an hour or two, met my first northbound thru-hiker. And uh, it was fairly impressionable. It was about an you know, 24, 25 year old guy. So I, you know, immediately just looked up to him and, and, uh, hiked with him, you know, what seemed like a, a really long time for me, but it was in reality only a few hours. But it, in, during that few hours, uh, two things occurred. I, uh, absolutely destroyed my feet and I absolutely knew what I was doing that summer. And so, uh, I, I continued hiking north. I shed weight and learned as I went. And uh, it, it sort of inadvertently became an ultralight hiker, not because I had fancy gear, but because I just got rid of so much stuff. I realized that hiking very minimal state was pretty great, really. <laughs> and so uh, I hiked from Bearsden Youth Hostel to Katahdin, and, uh, at which point I took a bus back to my parents' house took about a week off and then took a bus down to Georgia and started hiking north again. And 980 miles later, finished my uh, flip-flop through hike of the Appalachian Trail uh, at my parents' front door. An inadvertent flip-flop. I love it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, I really didn't even, I knew nothing. I knew nothing. So, and that's sort of how I got my name rocks. Uh, I <laughs> it's just dumb as rocks. You know, at one point during those first few weeks, I had a stash of literal rocks that I thought were cool in my backpack. And uh, somebody said, what are you, dumb as rocks? Get rid of those things. Gotcha. So in this episode, we plan to talk mm -hmm. about the Pacific Northwest Trail. Can you give us an elevator pitch on that? One to three sentences. Uh, why would we want to experience the, this trail? What makes this trail special? You've got a lot of other trails to compare it to. so. Yeah. Let's see. Why do you want to thru-hike the Pacific Northwest Trail? It is significantly different than any of the other trails I've been on. So that really would be, you know, my my elevator pitch. It's it's just something completely different in terms of uh, how it hikes, the feel of it, and the ecological diversity of it. I think. As far as the, the other trails that I've hiked, there's just no real comparison. And that's why you would want to through hike the Pacific Northwest Trail. I've read Ron Strickland's book and, and also Chris Townsend's book. It is 
east-west instead of north-south. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. instead of following the, the mountain ranges, it Absolutely. crosses them. Yes. Um, what effect does that have on the difficulty? I know it obviously it passes through different ecosystems, possibly in an extreme. It would You're absolutely right. Hiking it east to west is really something to behold. Almost immediately coming through Glacier, I was struck by the fact that all of the other long trails that I've done, I would describe as flowing with the current of the mountains. And you, you kind of get on a ridge, and yes, there are, there are ups and downs, and yes, there are you know, big climbs and descents. But generally speaking, you know, it's a bit like surfing. Uh, and you do not get that on the Pacific Northwest Trail. You are swimming across the current. Uh, there is just no doubt about it. You, you climb these, you know, rugged and steep inclines, you know, sometimes for hours. And pretty much as soon as you peek out, you are right back down into another river valley. And, you know, I, I would uh, have anticipated before through hiking the Pacific Northwest Trail that I would have had a, at least a couple of string of 40 mile days. And on the Pacific Northwest Trail, I, I had one and I found myself challenged to even break 30 miles sometimes. Mm. And that came as a real surprise. So, you know, the hiking is significantly different uh, from any of the other long trails. I uh, have experienced. And it's rugged. You are going through super dense forests. You are going through undeveloped trails. You are bushwhacking in many places. Uh, we can talk about that in more depth because that definitely presents some challenges. But I, I have this funny little story about a section. Uh, as you know, the Pacific Northwest Trail and the Pacific Crest Trail intersect uh, in, the, in the North Cascades. And my particular situation was such that I hiked down to, I forget the name of the town, but it's uh, Pacific Crest Trail Town. There's a hostel there. It's south of Hearts Pass, or you, you get off to go to the town on, on Hearts Pass. And I'm, I'm sorry that I'm drawing a blank on the name of the town. But anyway, I had some extra time, and I hiked down there. And I did this really cool loop that uh, I would really recommend, and we can talk about that if you would like. But the bottom line is I, I had to hike about 13 miles north from Hearts Pass to rejoin the Pacific Northwest Trail. And the contrast between the PCT and the PNT on that day was absolutely remarkable. And it's 13 miles of this beautiful groomed trail and happy people and and you make a you make a left onto the Pacific Northwest Trail, and within 50 feet, I lost the trail and had to go find it. And when I did finally find it, it required me to walk down the trunk of a 100 foot tall, you know, maybe 80 foot tall, giant pine tree that had fallen perpendicular and over, you know, over top of the trail. And you know, by the time I reached my place where I would camp that night. I remember specifically crossing 53 down trees. And the contrast between that and, and the Pacific Crest Trail was just as stark as anything you can imagine. Wow. Uh, yeah. And so, you know, th this is a challenging trail. 
and and maybe I should have included that in uh, what, what did you call it? The elevator pitch. Uh, yeah, the <laughs> elevator pitch. Because you know, if you want a challenge, this is it. You know, this is it's a fantastic challenge. Great. My next question is, what was the terrain and the scenery like? I, I with the PNT, that's a tough question because I know it, mm-hmm. it. The point is that it changed so much. So yes. You might have a whole paragraph of response here. <laughs> I do. Yeah, I, I absolutely do. I mean, I, I can I can say with confidence that I passed through some of the ugliest places I've ever been. And I can say with confidence that I passed through some of the most beautiful places I've ever been. Coming through Glacier, you've got these incredibly dramatic snow-covered peaks and incredible waterfalls cascading down and just this incredible lush diversity and flowers just flowers everywhere i think they're what are they bear grass or something with these wonderful puff balls and it's just you know this incredible magic land that you're walking through and then you walk through a clear cut for an hour Uh, (laughs) and you walk by and, and, you know, this is a, a strange juxtaposition, but, you know, you walk by these incredible machines that have con- been constructed to clear cut these forests and you've got stacks of, of timber 100 feet tall, well, 50 feet tall anyway. And, and it's just the, this juxtaposition. And then, you know, you walk through this clear cut and you make a left hand turn and go up onto the most beautiful ridge you've ever been on, verdant and, and lush and filled with wildflowers and incredible views stretching for you know, 100 miles. And then you descend into, for instance, the, the uh, Kootenai Valley and the canola fields that you walk through along the Kootenai River and these, you know, these brilliant yellows and, and brilliant purples. And, you know, it's just the heart of agriculture and the soil that's just black with nutrients uh, it's it's unbelievable, and then it, you know as you head further, you know further west, you walk through miles and miles of uh, devastated, burned out forest, and then you'll just for apparently no reason at all, they just you know, didn't log or whatever. You're walking by trees as as big and impressive as anything you'll ever see out you know short of going to the sequoias. I mean, some of these cedar trees are six six men's arm lengths around i mean they're just massive and giant and old and magnificent so i I wouldn't i don't think it's fair to say that you have to take the good with the bad because it's all so fascinating it's not all beautiful it is not all beautiful but what it is is diverse and it's an education we were talking earlier about how my impression of, of the pacific northwest trail is that it's a bit of a preview of the potentially worst effects of climate change. Some of the forests you're walking through have been clear-cut 70 years ago or or 20 years ago. And, and so seeing the recovering forest is somewhat encouraging until you see what they looked like, you know, because they're more recent. And one of the things that impressed upon me, and, the, and this is just one man's opinion, one who's not particularly well-versed or educated on the effects of climate change or forestry, but 
you know, you do kind of get the impression that some of these forests that will never recover. And I say that because you're walking through these super dense areas of, of deforestation, whether it was because of wildfire or at the hands of man, you've got, you know, all these saplings that are coming up and they're growing six inches to two feet apart and it's super dense and brushy and, it, you know, it's just wildfire waiting to happen. And as the climate changes and things dry out, these wildfires are becoming more and more prevalent. And it's hard to imagine a lot of these forests ever really recovering. And that's scary and sad, but it also serves serves as, as, a, as a teacher. We have to do something. We have to address this because what we're doing is not sustainable. And that had never been impressed upon me in such a powerful way. That's interesting. And then, you know, I'm, I don't know if you want to talk about the seacoast uh, at all. Absolutely. We can, it's part we of the can trail. talk about it later. That, yeah. That's uh, an unusual thing about this trail. So many other trails are focused on mountains. Yeah. And this trail does include that coastal environment, which is yeah. a special aspect, right? Oh, it was, it was incredible. On what trail do you have to learn to navigate tidal charts? I mean, how cool is that? That uh, you know, it's would be a just first. Fan- yeah. Oh, it's fantastic. You know, I again, I, I talked earlier about the relationship between the moon and the tide, and and being able to actually see the water race after the moon as it passes. Because I was I was very fortunate in that the moon was full uh, oh. while I hiked that section, and you know, seeing that relationship was incredible but then you know the mechanics of also having to time my day to it because of course you can get and i did have to put my uh, sleeping mat and sleeping bag out on a rock i I didn't have to choose that particular rock but uh, the rock was sticking up above the water and i i mistimed my my crossing and so i found this cool rock and i set my stuff up on it and watch the tide finish its, uh, you know, finish rising and completely surrounding the rock. And then I watched it recede in the moonlight uh, before starting to hike again. And, uh, you know, it's just, you just don't get that opportunity too many times in life. That was so cool. Yeah. It was so cool. So you watched the whole tide cycle that day. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. yeah. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. Oh, you know, every night I unfortunately uh, I did, you know, that that part of my my trip, I did, uh, you know, fairly quickly. Uh, And and in retrospect, I wish I had sort of planned my my finish uh, a little better so that I'd had more time there, because uh, if there's a section on the PNT that deserves some time, it's you know, it's that section. I don't remember how many miles it is, but I think I did it in like two and a half days or something. And uh, ideally, it would have been, you know, four. <laughs> right. Yeah, it's not a long section. Um, no. It's just after you've crossed the Olympic Peninsula, right? And then mm-hmm. you just you turn up the coast and you walk along the along the coast. Precisely. Ways. Yeah. yeah. So how would it, you, as we said, you've been on other trails. You, I, mm-hmm. you talked about how it compares. You were alone. You've already answered the question about uh, how does it compare to places you've you've been before. What are when did you do this? Uh, it was last year, 2019. Yeah, 2019 started. Uh, I was just looking at my pictures because I wasn't sure what day I started. Started. Uh, I got to 
to Glacier and secured my permits on uh, June, uh, yeah, June 30th. Uh-huh. So pretty close to a, a year ago. Right. I, uh, I started the hike on, I believe, the first or the second. So, and uh, I believe I finished, I finished the first week of, let's see, July, August. So I finished the first week of September. I had probably close to 20 zero days in there. And I actually, I even had a, uh, a nine or 10 day period uh, where I met some friends from the Pacific Crest Trail uh, that I've remained in close contact with. These uh, three fellows are near and dear. And we had the opportunity to summit uh, Mount Rainier and mm-hmm. also Mount Shuxon uh, during that period of time. So it was, it was a pretty great summer. Yeah. So just uh, for listeners' reference, um, when you refer to Glacier, you're talking about Glacier National Park, which is where this trail begins. That's right. And is also traversed perpendicular to this trail by uh, the Continental Divide Trail, Mm -hmm. which runs down the top of the watershed on the Rocky Mountains, right? Mm -hmm. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. And that that was a really great experience, actually, since you mentioned it. Gonna do a little shout out here to a, a uh, through hiker that people might recognize. Fun size, and I believe he goes by Lynx now. I was sitting outside of the permit office uh, waiting for the ride to get to uh, the PNT start because you have to get a shuttle there. And my friend Fun Size from the PC2 I haven't seen since 2013 walks up and goes, "Hey, rocks." <laughs> was super cool and uh the the wonderful thing about that is he was securing his permits for his southbound cdt hike and so you know we had a a a very brief encounter a very joyful joyful meeting and then uh i think it was it was either the next day or it could have been two days later where the pnt and the cdt actually uh, joined together uh, for a few miles uh-huh. Uh, I ran into uh, Lynx again. Really? Had another, yeah, had another, uh, you know, reunion and just laughing, just big grins and laughing. So it was, it was fun, and we saw, uh, saw and met a couple other uh, southbound CDT hikers who were starting their their trail. Right. Yeah, and then, and then of course it it also crosses as you as you mentioned earlier the Pacific Crest Trail. Mm-hmm. And, and goes on down to the Olympic Peninsula and many places in between. What were the time constraints that you were dealing with when you did this? Right. So I had an interesting schedule. I, I do work. I own a small business that I can uh, fortunately step away from uh, from time to time, although it's getting increasingly difficult to do that. So I had about a two-month window and uh, so that was that was one time constraint. I really I couldn't be gone for more than about two months, which is why I picked the Pacific Northwest Trail in the first time place. I, I needed a medium length trail. Mm-hmm. And this certainly served the purpose. Uh, and then the other thing is my girlfriend at the time, now wife, who uh, we're actually going to have a baby like any minute now. <laughs> Congratulations. <laughs> Thank you. So she she has a what I have termed a, a big girl job that she has a very difficult time stepping away from. And so, but she, she wanted to participate in the through hike as well. And she's an excellent, I mean, exquisite planner. And so she had worked it out so that she was able to join me for the first two weeks. And then 
I had, I think about two weeks by myself. And then she joined me for another two weeks, at which point I would finish the trail. And so I did have some restrictions because I had to be in certain places uh, at certain times. And so it worked out. I mean, it just couldn't have worked out any better logistically, but it it did pose a bit of a challenge because, uh, as I mentioned earlier, the the PNT is is a difficult, difficult through hike. And so the mileage that I had set for myself and the mileage that I needed to set in order to be at those locations proved to be a bit challenging, particularly in the beginning when I wasn't as good a trail shape as I was towards the end. Right. Yeah. You mentioned how you didn't make the same mileage that you Mm -hmm. uh, are used to making in on other on ridge trails, essentially. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. I was, I was pretty surprised by that, Uh, particularly because I, I, you know, I was in pretty good shape uh, when I started. I, um, finished a, a 116, 118 mile run uh, with 32,000 feet of climbing uh, oh. like six weeks earlier. So I was definitely not in, you know, couch condition, but right. even still, you know, I found the trail challenging. Wow. So how long did it take you? Right. So, you know, basically two, two months and a week minus maybe 18 to 20 days of zero days. So, mm-hmm. you know, it wasn't a, wasn't a slow through hike, which did actually contribute to my solitude. Uh, there were bubbles of hikers in front of me and behind me. And I, I just didn't, I didn't meet them. <laughs> huh. I, I think, I think realistically I met maybe 20 other through hikers during that period of time. But I also, I know for a fact that I went 21 days without seeing another through hiker. Wow. And, you know, the trails are sparsely populated anyway. So I was largely alone. Right. Uh, which I very much enjoyed. Huh. Uh, but I also, you know, I, I definitely got lonely. Uh-huh. And it's about, what, 1,200 miles, right? I think it's, yeah, it's like exactly 1,200 miles. Huh. <laughs> what considerations would affect a person's timing for doing this trail, the seasons, the weather. Yeah, sure. So particularly the start would be controlled by how heavy uh, the snow was in Glacier. <laughs> so it's a little, a uh, little silly, but I actually started my hike with an ice axe and uh, some, what do you call those things you put on your feet? Uh, not crampons, but uh, uh, yeah, the uh, Cthulhu yeah, spikes or something yeah, like that. Yeah, whatever they are, those yeah, those like bungee cordons, micro spikes. That's what they are. And I, I really that was more the influence of Kara because she she did a bunch of research and understood that there was no real information on how much the snowpack was up high through Glacier and. The the fable, I don't know if it's true or not, although they did ask at the permit office, was was I equipped for snow traverses? And because I had an ice axe, because I had micro spikes, obviously my answer was yes. Turns out I did not need them. And I sent them home, I don't know, maybe in a 130 miles. I forget what the name of that town is. The first real town, not Polebridge, but the other one. Mm-hmm. I sent them home. So snowpack would be an issue. The rest of the trail, you're pretty, really wouldn't be too many restrictions, although fire would definitely be an issue, but I had never really encountered any fire. I I was largely unimpacted by fire. I did see some plumes of smoke 
but my understanding was that they were up in Canada. And huh. so I got very lucky. Right. And I can I can easily imagine hikes being canceled uh, or postponed for long periods of time. Due right. To fire. And Kara is your wife, right? Yes. Yeah. yeah. So and now the trail runs essentially along the south side of the U.S.-Canada border. And how how much were you aware of Canada being there while you were hiking this? Pretty aware, really. I, I actually, it's worth Eureka is the name of the town that I was just uh, just trying to come up with the name. One of the coolest experiences after you get through Glacier and I'm not sure the name of the mountain range. Maybe it could be the Selkirks. I'm not sure. And I apologize. I'm fairly lazy about names and remembering things like that. I don't know if it's a handicap or I'm just super lazy, but regardless, it's all right. uh, I, one of the, one of the great points of the trail is that you, you actually hit the Canadian border on a switchback and it's fascinating because, you know, as, as your listeners may be aware, there's a giant clear cut between the borders that, you know, yards across maybe 30 yards or something. Huh. Uh, it's significant, and you can see, you can follow it for for miles and miles. When you get a good, you know, when you're up on a on an overlook, you can see this thing. And so the switchback terminates right at the border. There's literally a sign there, Canadian border. I forget it's got the the latitude and longitude. So at that point, you can actually cross right there. <laughs> and uh, but it was quite a neat experience because you can look down the ridge. And across, uh, what is it? The I'm not sure what the body of water there is, but it's a large body of water, and you can see right across maybe 30 miles of this clear cut. And it's funny because not only can you see it if you zoom in on Eureka on Google Earth, you can actually see that for for some reason, and I have no idea why, the grass is literally greener on the Canadian side of the border. <laughs> <laughs> than it is on the American side. And you're like, what is happening here? I, I have this hilarious picture of the grass being greener in Canada. And it's like, what? <laughs> so funny. Prime Minister Trudeau would be proud. Yeah, well, you know, it's it's a strange thing. Uh, and so that, you know, that just st stuck out to me as, as uh, hilarious and, and a notable moment. Um. Uh, let's see. Uh, season. What What is the best? When is the the season for hiking this? Well, uh, so I think it seems to me, you know, the day I started, I I believe there were, I don't know, maybe four other through hikers starting that day, uh, and we started with some some what became really great friends. I think I think the the season would be you know right around July first and you know two basically two to three months to finish it. Uh huh. So but you wouldn't yeah, want to start I, before July first. You know, again, that would depend on the snowfall and glacier. That would right. be the controlling factor. Okay. Okay. Mm -hmm. But you would you would start around that time and and mm -hmm. expect two or three months. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. There's some I don't I don't know what the average is, but there's there's some statistical average. Maybe it's like 80 days or 90 days to do it. Mm -hmm. uh, could be could be 70, something like that. Yeah. Right. Um, are there cultural or historical factors to discuss? Well, certainly cultural. You know, this you're walking through 
rural Montana, rural Idaho, and rural Washington. And uh, so you should be aware that if you're squeamish, you are absolutely guaranteed to encounter people in the woods carrying guns. I, I don't know how many guns I saw, uh, but it's a lot. People are friendly, friendly, but not overly warm, uh, cautious. Uh, it was it was a funny thing. I've never been asked what sort of protection I carry so many times. And people were somewhat aghast when I told them that I, I had a, uh, you know, one inch long Swiss army knife. <laughs> uh, they were relatively shocked that I was in the woods without uh, without a firearm. And I don't know if they're more scared of uh, the bears, which is something that should be discussed, or the people, mm-hmm. uh, which is somewhat less interesting. But uh, so, so yeah, uh, definitely culturally encountered people with political views that were different from my own, but they were all friendly. And uh, one of the, the sort of neat things about uh, these encounters actually was not so much the political differences or the carrying of firearms, but the fact that People are collecting huckleberries. That's what they're doing in the woods during this period of time. Uh, huckleberries are, are a huge cultural icon up there um, that I was completely oblivious of until I was there. But somebody told us that there were 42 different varieties of huckleberries, and some are more sought after than others. And I got to say, one of the big distractions and maybe maybe one of the reasons it took me so long to do the PNT was you you will stuff your face with berries. I mean, it is unbelievable how many berries you will encounter, and the variety of berries is fantastic. <laughs> and uh, you know, it, it makes it makes making your miles uh, relatively difficult. It's <laughs> just these these bushes that are just laden with berries. You you it's almost impossible to just walk by. <laughs> and there aren't all that many hikers eating them. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. Well, even if there were, I mean, even if it was packed, there are so many berries. It's just, where was it? It was in North Cascades uh, after Ross Lake. I forget the name of the valley. Maybe, oh, I think it was coming up Challenger Challenger Pass. It's just peak berry season. And there are like five different species of berries that we were walking by. Some really big, funny like giant raspberry ones, uh, maybe salmon berries, I think they might have been called. Huh. And I actually did uh, did an equation assuming, uh, you know, some caloric output during climbing and how many berries you would have to eat uh, in order to uh, uh, counteract the caloric output of this climb. And, and I figured out you had to eat like uh, uh, one berry every three seconds. <laughs> and so that's that's what we did during this climb and it was fantastic <laughs> <laughs> anyway so the you know the, the it is a the cultural because that's what we were talking about that there there were some cultural aspects it was neat you know, getting getting to see these people who are making their living you know gathering huckleberries mm-hmm. uh, and then along the coast you know you you walk through i forget the name of the town i should look you walk through the village where the movie uh, with the vampires and the werewolves, I forget what it's called, what the, what the book is called, but you walk through, you know, a, you walk through a reservation uh, and that was, you know, that was unique and interesting. Uh, yeah. La Push or uh, yeah, La Push is what the town is called uh, outside of Forks. And, you know, that was, that was neat. 
it was very, uh, it was a wonderful, actually one of the best nights I spent was uh, on the beach at La Push. Huh. Uh, it's a, it's a scenic and beautiful area. The moon was, was beautiful. Right. Um, okay. Uh, switching a bit to equipment and such. Mm-hmm. Did you use any equipment that is different from your usual setup? You mentioned uh, the the snow gear. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I had uh, I had snow gear that I I found uh, was more dangerous than anything else. Uh, I did I found a, a pool noodle on the side of the road during one of the road walks. <laughs> I stuck that over the end of the. Uh, the ice axe which yes, made ice it axe. significantly more safe and it was a bright pink pool noodle and, you know it was just uh, it was hilarious um, yep. but that was the only sort of unusual gear uh-huh. uh, I am I am a, a minimalist and uh, my gear actually I, I'm uh, relatively cheap but I, I did I did buy some really nice gear at, at one point uh, but it's all super ragged now and so uh, the the PNT was a bit of a race, uh, which 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 could be accomplished first, finishing the PNT or the utter destruction of every last piece of gear that I had, because it's all it was the PNT killed it all. Uh, huh. I really I need a new sleeping bag. I need a new tent. My backpack is, is just falling apart from being sun bleached. And uh, yeah, so it was it was pretty funny. Uh, pretty ragged pretty raggedy uh-huh what is your base weight like for through hiking in the summer i'm not sure i would say it's i gotta think it's around 10 pounds maybe maybe really? 12 pounds yeah it's not uh it's not super super light but it's not super heavy one of the things to discuss would be the fact that uh, you are going through bear country uh, on the pnt and so a lot of the areas where you're walking through it, uh, bear bear canisters or bear bags i forget what they're called but uh, are required and even if they're not required they are absolutely must have piece of gear and i'm i'm sorry i just can't remember the name of the maybe it's like your sack or ur sack or something Ur-sack, yeah Ur-sack, that's, that's, the, yeah. that's the, the the white bear bag that you can buy which is not always approved in in some of those western national parks but that's that's absolutely right. In fact, uh, I had to rent a bear canister in right. um, in the Olympics, which uh, wasn't too big a deal. Although, you know, because I'm I'm accustomed to I have this like, you know, granite gear uh, food bag that you know weighs absolutely nothing. Right. Um, that I normally carry. In this case, I carried the Ursac everywhere on the trail except right. for through the Olympics and. You know that thing's fairly heavy. The Ursac. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know. It, okay. It's fairly heavy if you are a wimp like me. <laughs> no, I'm just thinking. I have a bear canister and I have an Ursac. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And once I got the Ursac, if I can possibly help it, I will take the Ursac instead of the bear canister because oh. of the difference in weight and packability. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. But that just illustrates what a sissy I am. That the Ursac is, you know basically too much to carry <laughs> well, you're about to be in the same when when you have children with you it's not no. something you're compromising on no uh, you're taking no, that kind of protection <laughs> sure well i wasn't yeah i wasn't willing to to compromise on it anyway i mean i'm yeah. very sensitive to uh, the wild areas 
you know, there's a, a lot of controversy actually about the Pacific Northwest Trail as it passes through um, uh, Western Montana. And uh, the Yak, yeah, the Yak Valley and mm-hmm. the Yak Mountains around there, there is a, uh, a bear population that is really struggling there. And I, I don't. I don't know what the answer is, but there's a bear population. They are, uh, they're isolated for whatever reason. And there's a lot of controversy about where the, the trail goes through there because there are people who want to protect the bears and who simply don't want a national scenic trail going through there because they believe that uh, it will negatively impact the bears. Now, the controversy comes from A, is this true? B, what are the the gentleman's uh, concerns? Uh, are they really for the bears, or is he a simply using that as a straw man for the the forestry industry, which uh, is doing some huge logging and some road developing in in adjacent area? I gave an interview to Outside Magazine, either Outside or Backpacker, I can't remember, uh, which should be published at some point that uh, discusses these issues. Uh And so the point here is not to really bring up the the controversy. The point really is, is to just uh, discuss how delicate the situation is with the bears in some of these places and how serious it has to, bear protection has to be taken. You know, we had uh, bear spray, we had the ursac, and we absolutely were careful about bear hangs and, you know, what we did with our food. Uh, Right. And, and that's something that you really have to be aware of and, and take seriously because, you know, one little slip up could result in a dead bear. Uh, and, you know, right. that's the last thing that we would want. Uh, I actually considered not going through that area before I left because of a podcast that I listened to. I forget what it's called, but it was on um, I heard it on the Home of the Brave podcast. People could find it if they wanted. Sure. Um, and, you know, it, it really scared me. Uh, because you know the last thing I want to do is is cause a, a bear any harm uh, or right. encroach in, in their habitat. So. Apart from protecting your food, how were bear encounters? So, despite all of the discussion about the yak bears, I did not see any bears until I got to the Olympic Peninsula. Really? And it all yeah, every sighting occurred in one day. I saw five bears. And they were concentrated in one, I, I don't know where it is, but it's, you know, it was towards the end of the Olympic National Park. And it, uh, there's a, some section, I think it's maybe a 17-mile section that is heavily impacted and trafficked by people. And it also, so so on the same day that I saw the most bears, I also saw the most people. Uh, and they were all within close proximity. But uh, I, I don't think that I was any closer than a hundred yards to a bear at any point that I knew of. Right. What piece of equipment, back to equipment, what piece of equipment are you most happy that you had with you? Oh, well, I was really happy to have my tent. <laughs> Which tent did you uh, have? I, so I have a, um, uh, what is it? Um, it's a big Agnes uh, Fly Creek. And I actually sprung for the platinum. 
Uh-huh. So it is, it's an extremely light tent. And despite it being so light, I have, I mean, it did the entire PCT. Uh, it did the Arizona Trail. It did the Long Trail. It did the um, wow. <laughs> Ozark Highland Trail. I mean, this thing's got some serious miles on it. Yeah. And it does now look, after all those miles, it, it now has a broken pole and it also does kind of resemble a, a tent that survived a bear attack. <laughs> it did not, but it looks like it. So uh, that, that was a fantastic piece of equipment. Uh-huh. Uh, it, it served well. It was it was worth every penny I paid for it. But it does need to be retired. And I was super happy I had it because, you know, you're walking through a rainforest for uh, a lot of the PCT. I'm sorry, the PNT. And so it rained a lot. And at at one point, I don't know if it was, it was not in Glacier. I'm not sure where it was exactly, but I did actually get hailed on. And uh, so I was grateful to have a good tent during those events. I'll bet. (laughs) (laughs) What did you take that you would leave behind if you went back? Uh, What did I take that I would leave behind if I went back? Well, uh, obviously the the snow equipment uh, was was totally useless and an encumbrance. Uh, and the other thing is I, I hike in Chacos and, uh, as you can imagine, these are I sand- was prepared. Yeah. These are uh, sandals. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I love them. They are wonderful. Uh, I don't mess with socks. You know, it's just so easy. Uh, your feet get wet and then they dry within five minutes. But as you can imagine, if you're prepared for snow, Chacos would be uh, less than ideal. So the first, you know, whatever that section is between the start and the town of Eureka, where I was able to send my gear home, I had to like, uh, walk in shoes, actual shoes. And mm-hmm. that was, it was miserable. <laughs> I don't know how people do it. <laughs> what do you wish you had taken? What do I wish I had taken? You know, I, I take photos with, uh, with my iPhone and it's adequate but there were some moments uh, on the PNT where I really wish I had had a better camera because, you know, that the scenery, particularly, you know, through Glacier and at other, other points and, and, of course, the coast, a really nice camera would have had some tremendous benefit. That's a good tip. So, obviously, you camped a good deal. Is how much opportunity is there for not camping? Um, is it really camping 95% of the way or how does that break down? Yeah. Yeah. I think you're, you're mostly camping, obviously, you know, every time you resupply, I I'm a spoiled hiker. I definitely like my hotel room (laughs) and the shower. Um, so I, I did take advantage of that. And I also, I, you know, I like my zero days for sure. But yeah, you're mostly you're mostly just camping. There are a couple of shelters along the way, very few. I, I remember encountering one that would have been ideal to sleep in in the Olympics, uh, but frankly, uh, it was really just gross in there. So despite having the opportunity to stay in the shelter, I just slept in my tent. Right. Um, yeah. The the shelters along the way, and I, I I would if if you do encounter one, I would. I would probably be inclined to not stay in it. Right. What were the best or most interesting places that you stayed? One or two best. Yeah. Most so, trouble. so two two 
interesting places. Um, we're, uh, there's this, how do you, I'm not even sure how to describe it. It's a resort. It's Peace Creek Resort. Uh, and you, you walk down into, uh, out of Indiana, uh, I'm sorry, Idaho, and you walk into this, this crazy, it's, it's pretty resort, we'll call it. It's a, it's a bar, it's a hotel, but you cannot stay at the hotel, but the, the gentleman, I forget his name, uh, he lets you stay in the yard. And I, I'm looking at this place wondering, why does this place exist? There's no way this is a self-supporting location. Uh, it's called uh, Feast Creek Resort. And I, I just couldn't understand. And I, I was imagining all of these like sort of nefarious things like this is this is a this has got to be some sort of, uh, you know, marijuana uh way to way to legitimize you know the grow operation that the guy owns in washington or something and you know this is this is how he manages his income i was imagining all these nefarious things you know the guy you know who knows and it turns out that i wasn't too far off except that what he was doing there was totally totally legit the railroad tracks go through this valley and what he does is he he literally rents the hotel uh, seven days a week, all year long to to the railroad. They pay for all these rooms and they pay to keep the hotel, the uh, the uh, restaurant and bar open so that their train conductors who are coming out of Canada can can stay there uh, at a moment's notice if they need to for you know whatever delays. I don't understand exactly the logistics. But anyway, whatever the, the railroad is there, uh, pays for this entire resort. And so that's how he's able to stay open. But the, the, the gentleman is super nice and allows hikers to stay there. He, you can stay in the yard and, you know, buy food from the restaurant. And uh, he was so, so friendly and so nice. I, I wound up staying there for, for two days and, and doing laundry and things. And the, the second morning, he, well, actually the evening before, he gave me the keys to the restaurant and said, hey, when you get up in the morning, you know, go fix yourself a nice breakfast. And, you know, it's got a walk-in cooler and all of these, uh, you know, all the, the the things that go with it in a commercial stove. And, you know, he literally just uh, just gave me free run of the place. And so, you know, I took advantage of that and left a donation. And this place also accepts uh, drop boxes or mail drops. Yeah. Uh, so it was fantastic. So that was, yeah, Feast Creek. And then uh, the... The other most interesting town, uh, which uh, preceded Feast Creek, was Polebridge. As you walk out of Glacier, the first town you encounter is Polebridge. And this is a completely off-the-grid town. Uh, there are restaurants. There is a bar. Uh, there is a hostel outside of town. And it was it was just such a special, unique place. It's a bit of a tourist destination, which made it really fun because it had sort of a festive feel. Uh, I think we were also there on like uh, the maybe the day after July 4th, and a lot of people were were there. Right. And uh, it's it's just neat. It's neat to see a whole off the grid town. Uh, mm -hmm. So that was that was fantastic. And then you know the rest of the towns were sort of run of the mill, but you know there there are plenty of opportunities to encounter wonderful uh, trail towns, some better than others. One of the things that I was struck by is that the people along the trail 
are recognizing the value of the PNT to bring ac economic activity into their communities. And so there are a lot of people who are being really progressive about opening hostels and Great. Uh, you know, becoming hiker friendly. Uh, yeah. And so that was that was really cool to see. And yeah. It's just sort of this, uh, I believe the term would be um, burgeoning hiker economy, which I thought right. was really, really just fantastic. That is. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Where can others learn about the trail? What, what, what would be the information sources for them to go to? Sure. So, you know, there's obviously gut hook is mostly how I navigated, but Gut the, is the application it is yeah and and it's uh it's really pretty great that i think i'm i might have been the first or i think i was the second season where it was available and and i was grateful for it it, it did a good job uh, relatively few inaccuracies uh, given the terrain although where there are inaccuracies they are doozies uh, usually it's involving a um a bushwhack uh but uh, so other other resources would include the uh, Pacific Northwest Trail Town Guide, uh -huh. and then the other one is uh, the Pacific Northwest Trail Digest. Both right. of these books were pretty invaluable, uh, particularly because our logistics were relatively challenging, uh, you know, with meeting Kara and everything. So those uh -huh. two publications were really important. Also, the PNTA has a, uh, a great list of resources. They are uh, a proactive uh, organization, and uh, they're, they're really trying to, to treat the trail well, balance uh, priorities, and you know, dial in the trail because it's, it's rugged and raw. And you should definitely understand that you know, this is a new trail uh, before going into it. So the PNTA, I, I would absolutely use as a resource. They have a, a good Facebook presence, uh, social media presence, and yep. uh, their their staff is, is incredible and can point you in all sorts of directions. Yeah, that's the Pacific mean. Northwest Trail Association, right? Mm -hmm. And I think they are PNTA.org. Is that? Yep, that's correct. Yeah. Okay. And yes, I've I've been looking at them uh, as you said, the social media presence and, and now mm -hmm. in the middle of the uh, COVID-19 uh, crisis, they are giving nearly daily updates in terms mm -hmm. of status of areas where the trail is. But essentially right now, people are not hiking. Yeah, yeah sadly. Yeah. But they are being very proactive in that regard. Yeah. Are there safety, security or health concerns that you have not mentioned? Yeah, there are inherent risks uh, on any through hike. The risks specifically associated with the Pacific Northwest Trail. Water's not really an issue. Uh, you do go through some pretty arid sections where you can get yourself into trouble. The biggest issue really is navigating some of the bushwhacks. There's uh, there are several bushwhacks uh, around the lions. Well, there's one the lion's head area that you know that that bushwhack presents a, a pretty good challenge. I was unable to find the uh, any sort of trail for a long way. It's I think it's like six or eight miles, and it basically took me almost an entire day to accomplish it. 
it it wasn't it was compounded by the fact that I when I did it it was uh, hailing if anybody has ever wondered hail balls when standing up to your mid thigh in a rushing river will in fact stick to your leg hair <laughs> I had lightning and and thunder and hail uh, it, it was it's, and and you know white out just white out rain uh, it was uh, fairly uh, challenging and, and even even a little uh, dangerous. I definitely ran the risk of slipping and falling off of objects, trees, rocks. And then there was another bushwhack, uh, which is a, it's a bit of an ironic bushwhack because it is it's within like 30 miles of uh, the PNTA headquarters, but I think it's about a mile of what I can only describe as Blackberry Hell. Okay. You are going through this bushwhack. It's blackberries is, you know, twice as thick as my thumb, just entwined everywhere. I I have a picture of Kara as she emerged from this sitting on the ground with no fewer than a thousand lacerations on her. It's it is. She's got a big grin on her face, but she's got blood all over her face, all over her arms, all over her legs. Uh, somehow or another, I managed to get through with only one scratch, but she just she looked like she lost a fight with a bobcat. So, yeah, that would be that would be one area of concern. Another area of safety, you know, obviously the bears. We did carry bear spray the entire length of it. So uh, just because I didn't have any real bear encounters doesn't mean that other people don't uh, won't or can't. Uh, so that's an issue. Uh, I did see rattlesnakes in eastern Washington. And I did leave the uh, Olympic Peninsula with a case of Giardia, uh, despite uh, filtering all my water through the Olympics and along the coast. I uh, did still manage to get sick from that, so mm-hmm. uh, which I, I have to believe that I'm fairly resistant to it, uh, having been exposed to it dozens of times and not gotten it. I've been with people who have gotten it. Uh, from drinking from the same source that I did where I did not get it. Uh, and so I have to believe that the concentration is very high through the Olympics. You mentioned a, a couple of paragraphs ago, um, a, a couple of books that are informational. Two books that I have read on the Pacific Northwest Trail are, first of all, Ron Strickland's mostly biographical account, Pathfinder. Mm-hmm. Uh, which talks about the actual process of of building this trail over yeah. 30 years. And Ron Strickland is alive and well and with us still, so mm-hmm. Uh, mm-hmm. I, I hope that he gets to listen to this podcast. And hi, Ron. And, hi, Ron. Uh, <laughs> thank you, and, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. Absolutely. Thank you from so many people. And then there's grizzly bears and razor clams. Um <laughs> And that is a book by a guy named uh, Chris Townsend, who's an English guy, I think, right? Oh, fantastic. Uh, oh, it's true. Razor clams. Oh, my goodness. Oh, that's wonderful. So I, it's I true. Actually, Absolutely I read, true. I read Grizzly Bears and Razor Clams to my children when they were, I think, maybe seven years old, cover to cover as part of my efforts to propagandize them about the outdoors. Fantastic. Um, so it was the first full adult book that they had read to them <laughs> oh, I, oh, it's I, entertaining I it's, it's I, a good book <laughs> i'm absolutely gonna get that oh that sounds wonderful thank you so much i had not heard of it 
but <laughs> it's it so is, great. It is a straightforward travelogue, but uh, okay. But yeah. of course, the Pacific Northwest Trail is so interesting that it it makes a pretty good travelogue. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you bleed a lot. The razor clams <laughs> are real. I I lacerated my uh, my leg quite severely, actually. Now those are in in when you get to the coast, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> it's fantastic. All right, so that's my little excursion off to. Oh, uh, that was great. What I've done, what research I've done, but um, <laughs> what were the costs for this trip? Uh, obviously, you had to fly. You had to fly there. Where did you fly in and out of? Yeah, so I, I have done through hikes on a on a tiny little shoestring budget. Um, this. This hike was probably more expensive than most of my other hikes, even though it was shorter, because I was operating within such a strict uh, timeline. Normally, I would, you know, budget my travel. I don't think I've ever actually flown to a location to start a trail before. I usually figure out some cheap and more interesting way of doing it. But I did have to fly into Kalispell, and I did have to fly out of Seattle. Uh-huh. Uh, both of those were uh, fairly expensive, particularly the flight out of Seattle, because I didn't know exactly when I would finish. And so I wasn't right. able to purchase the airplane ticket well in advance and, and right. secure a uh, less expensive ticket that way. So uh, also, I was not shy about staying in hotels on this trail. Uh, I stayed, I don't, I don't even know how many hotels, but pretty much when I presented with the opportunity. Uh, and normally on a through hike, you know, I would be in proximity to the other hikers, but in this case, I, I was not around other hikers, so I couldn't capitalize on um, sharing hotel rooms and right. things like that. So, yeah, hotels and travel were uh, relatively more expensive on this trail than uh, other trails, and part of that is just because of how remote it is, and part of it is because of my time timeline. So, I think that you could do it on a on a budget if you wanted to, uh, if you needed to. Uh, you know, it comes down to being creative, uh, which I was not able to be. Obviously, you know, food is is uh, up there. I did not have to purchase uh, any gear beyond like the Ursac uh, for this. I pretty much had everything. Although <laughs> after everything's shredded, uh, I will have to replace almost my entire kit. So, right. uh, so that'll be fairly expensive. But mm-hmm. what are the variables in the costs that one could factor in or out in terms of making the trip more or less comfortable and more or less affordable for oneself? Sure. Well, one area of savings would be starting a little bit later in the season and avoiding having to deal with a snowpack. Uh, you could you could cut your weight uh, by not having to uh, either cut your weight in expense by not having to buy snow gear and having heavy clothing. Uh, one area that I would suggest uh, spending more on would be good rain gear because it does rain a lot uh, throughout uh-huh. the entire trip. So good rain gear uh, would, you know, sizable investment. Yeah, uh, my I, I wore a Patagonia uh, Houdini Alpine that did a pretty good job. It's you know it's a balance between uh, you know waterproof and and lightweight. I think a heavier rain jacket might be advantageous actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm, I'm not somebody who would normally advocate uh, good rain gear, but in this case, I think it's appropriate. Leaning more towards an alpine parka instead of an ultralight through hiking mm-hmm. type rain gear. Yeah. 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 
And also, you know, one of the reasons there is durability. Having having this gear on, having heavier gear on through some of the bushwhacks uh, absolutely would be valuable in terms of, you know, stopping potentially thousands of skin lacerations. Right. <laughs> and how were you able to make space for this in your life in terms of time and money? Yeah, so uh, I pissed a lot of people off at work. <laughs> just sort of par for the course if you're going to leave for a couple of months at a time. But, it, you know, it was it was relatively challenging to do that. Part of it is fully employed and not really young anymore. So I have a mortgage and, you know, financial obligations. I've been pretty good about uh, staying out of debt, but I do have a mortgage and paid off my student loans and everything. So that's nice. But I do have a full-time job. And so making room for that was challenging. Uh, as I mentioned earlier, uh, my girlfriend at the time, Kara, uh, you know, had a, a, a tremendous role in the planning of this and also, you know, coming and joining me. And I probably should have spent more time talking about her role and and orchestrating everything because uh, she really made it happen. And so for her to be able to come out for a total of four weeks was uh, very challenging in terms of making room for that. But she she did make it happen. So that was challenging. Uh, and then there was also the, you know, the making making of the room for uh, meeting my 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 lovely and dearest and most intimate friends uh, from the PCT to to mm-hmm. make room for uh, Mount Rainier and Mount Shuxon and just a generally wonderful week. Uh, shout out to Butters, Lullaby and Saji, the, the Dragon Slayers uh, were reunited for about a week and it was wonderful. Yeah. What are your favorite podcasts, blogs, magazines, or other sources of information? Oh gosh, this is uh, this is so boring. I, I I love podcasts, but I unfortunately am like a total news junkie. So I I did pretty much listen to uh, the Daily every day, uh, <laughs> just to you know the especially at, you know in, in other politically uh, charged times or well politically discharged times, I might not have paid so much attention to political podcasts, but news is moving so rapidly these days i i really had a hard time tuning that out and so i i didn't so yeah the daily uh, but then i listened to you know a ton of recorded books uh, i listened to uh, several noah yuval harari books uh-huh. um, right. 20, 20 21 lessons for the 21st century uh, homo deus in these these books you know they're like 30 hours long and so, you know, I listened, <laughs> right. I listened to all of them. They were just fascinating and wonderful. Uh, what a, gosh, what a mind. Certainly listened to some Jared Diamond and then normal podcast, like political podcasts, uh, some philosophy podcasts. Uh, I do have a love-hate relationship with Sam Harris. Um, and sometimes I can get through a Joe Rogan podcast. Not always. Yeah, lots of recorded books. So, yeah, I mean, you're talking about a lot of time listening to the recorded books, and it it occurs Mm -hmm. to me that one thing that we did not touch very much on that I hear among people talking about the PNT is the road marches. And and also discussed the clear cuts and and places where there's been where there have been forest fires. Mm -hmm. So are these which of these? I, well, talk about the road marches and about the mm-hmm. others, if if you feel it's appropriate. And, sure. and is this where you were listening? Yeah, I mean, you can only listen for so long. 
so it is it's you know it's nice to have a break and the the road march so here's the i have a weird relationship with road marches which is that i freaking love them (laughs) and so you know that's pretty advantageous on the pacific northwest trail because you know, I don't know what the statistics are on you know, the percentages of uh, single track versus forest service road versus, you know, actual road walks. Uh, but there is a tremendous amount of road walking and you have to be OK with that, because if, you, if you're not OK with it, you are not going to be happy. Uh, I am very lucky in that I am able to entertain myself. I, I absolutely love picking up bizarre things on the side of the road and playing with them. And I can do it for hours. Uh, you know, I, I've, like I said earlier in the podcast, I found a pool noodle <laughs> that I was able right. to wear on top of my uh, my ice axe to prevent my, you know, poking my girlfriend's face with it repeatedly. And you know, just just garbage along the side of the road is is uh, infinitely fascinating to me. At one point, somewhere I picked up a tensioner, a, K, a power line tensioner that the power company uses to couple power lines together thing weighed about five pounds and was about 12 inches long stainless Uh steel uh, from a somebody who loves machine work it was you know kind of a work of art and i i spent an entire day just fiddling with this thing and flipping it and spinning it and you know seeing the tricks i could do in my left hand i'm right-handed so it was you know it was infinitely fun and and if you're not able to to sort of be creative and, and take advantage of this time walking along these what would be monotonous roads, you know, you, you might you might not be too happy uh, right. with the PNT. But uh, fortunately, you know, I, I actually enjoyed them. It's also because of the way the PNT is oriented, where you're you're having to really, you know, work hard to cross mountains. Frankly, walking along the road is a welcomed relief in in many locations. But it's also dangerous. There are absolutely sections that, uh, you know, you, you could die. And I, um, I, I'm not going to lie. I am a purist. I, I was, I was not even happy to take the ferries uh, where required or, or the one, the one ferry that's required. I actually spent a couple of hours trying to figure out how I could kayak that section, uh, because I did not want I wanted continuous footsteps. And so there are definitely sections that a lot of people would would be perfectly happy to skip uh, road sections that I was not willing to compromise on. And uh, and it's you know, I had close calls for sure. You definitely need to be aware. And actually, I should have you know, that should have been my answer when you talked about uh, health or safety risks. Absolutely. Getting hit by a car is a real possibility. Uh, in at least three locations on three roads uh, throughout the length of the PNT. So, so that's something to be aware of. Maybe taking a traffic triangle to put on your bag or something. <laughs> you know, uh, I actually, there were some sections where I, I uh, picked up, uh, I believe I found a ski pole on the side of the road and I, I held it perpendicular right. to my body yep. uh, to, to force people into driving around me. Right. Uh, because they're, you know, they're not, they're not used to seeing people walking on the road because the PNT is so sparsely uh, populated. They're just not used to it or they just don't care and they will drive right next to you at 60 miles an hour. And it is freaking terrifying, particularly when you're, you know, in between a car and a guardrail, which frequently you are. Right. Of the trails that you have through hiked or uh, been on, which one is your favorite? 
I remember after the, the AT, people always asked, well, what's your favorite state? And, uh, it, yeah, I never had an answer for them because, frankly, all of the states are lovely. Uh, and so that's that's also true of the uh, of the long trails that I've hiked. I got to say, though, that my experience on the Arizona Trail was fairly unparalleled. Uh, I was lucky when I did that that through hike. Uh, I actually hiked with uh, with a dear, sweet friend of mine. His name's uh, Hopeful. Uh, he's, he did the CDT in, um, I guess, 2018. Yes, 2018. We did the Arizona Trail together in 2017. And that trail is like condensing the entire PCT into 800 miles. It is fantastically beautiful. And I was super lucky because the year I hiked happened to be a 21-year super bloom. And so I walked through a garden for 800 miles, and it was magnificent. The, the idea of starting at the Mexico border and within eight miles of the Mexican border mm -hmm. walking through snow... I mean, it's fantastic. I mean, who could even imagine such a thing? And and then I had never seen the, the Grand Canyon before. And so, you know, the Grand Canyon's roughly 100 miles from the end. And so walking 700 miles and getting to the Grand Canyon and seeing this this mag majestic, magnificent uh, feature was right. just unparalleled, uh, just just so spectacular, so special. So that was 2017, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. So the next 21-year bloom is in 2038. <laughs> yep. Yeah. I'll, Put I'll it on your calendars, folks. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> oh, it was, it was just fantastic. What a trail. What a trail. And, and uh, the, what is it, the AZT, uh, they, they really have their act together. I don't know if they're super well-funded or they're, leadership is is tremendous but uh they are really working hard on that trail and it and it shows it is uh i mean it's it's just glorious i i can't speak highly of it enough that's great to know what is the trail that you dream of doing oh all of them <laughs> fatherhood uh, <laughs> uh, yeah oh i know i know uh so i think um you know, I've got it in my head to do the Great Divide Trail. I think, I think that I, uh, I think that's probably the next realistic one on my list. Although, I I'm pretty interested in some of the uh, the trails in Europe. Uh, I've not spent much time in Europe, and so uh, I'm gonna have to figure that out. But I, I'm kind of thinking the Great Divide Trail. Uh, it's obviously not going to be. Uh, this summer or next summer, but you know right. maybe the summer after. I'm really inspired by um, Buddy Backpacker. Uh, uh -huh. I don't, don't know if you're familiar with with that group or not, uh, but you know those those folks are really inspirational. I I have yet to meet them. I thought they were on the uh, the Pacific Northwest Trail the year I was hiking, and I was anticipating meeting them, but I never did, and I'm not not quite sure what happened. I'm not super active on social media. I just knew they were out there uh, and I don't know if they finished ahead of me or, you know, whatever, but 
those folks are really inspirational. And so I, I am hoping to get my, my uh, little fellow out uh, and get him through hiking early. Um, Great Divide Trail is in Canada going north mm-hmm. from Glacier Waterton National Parks, right? Yeah, yeah. I, the- I really, I, I don't do a lot of planning. Uh, that's just not what I do. It's kind of like me being lazy with remembering names. I'm really lazy with planning. So I don't know anything about the trail. I just have seen pictures and, and I think it's a good distance. Uh, I, I think it's a manageable trail. What is the best way for listeners to find out more about your adventures? <laughs> uh, well, there isn't. I, uh, yeah, I, 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 not your focus. Again, just, just not, yeah, I'm just not interested in having a real big, uh, internet presence. Although, uh, I am super grateful and admire uh, tremendously the you know the content producers and it's invaluable and I I, I think it's awesome. Uh, it's just not something that I would ever be good at uh, mm-hmm. or or am too interested in pursuing. Right. Thank you very much. Oh, thank you so much. This is super exciting. This has been a great talk with you and uh, and you've really downloaded a lot of information on um on the pnt a lot of things i hadn't heard before so a lot of new information and that's that's great thank you very much well thank you so much for the opportunity thank you to rocks and congratulations because he and his wife had a son a day and a half after this interview the interview was recorded in late june and it took me a long time to post this because i moved across the country in the meantime Thank you for listening to the Trails Around the World podcast. Please visit us online at trailsaroundtheworld.com and please join our Facebook group under the same name. If you liked this podcast, please help us out by leaving a review on your favorite podcast source, such as Apple Podcasts. This is Sky King, and I look forward to you joining us next time. In the meantime, happy trails to you, and please remember to leave no trace as you enjoy the outdoors. 